to say good morning to those of you who are watching online as well. Uh, definitely want to give a little shout out to, to baby Cole uh, watching from home today. Last week after the service was over, Kenzie sent me uh, a picture of him watching online. And to be honest with you, he was more engaged in the sermon than most of you. Uh, that's just a joke, kind of. Um, but uh, shout out to him for watching. I want to pray for us, and then we're just going to get to it. So let's pray. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus. God, we're grateful to be here. It's a gift to get to worship with you. It's a gift to be led in worship by such great musicians and people who have the hearts that these folks have. Uh, that's a gift, and we welcome you um, into the room. We welcome you. We're already here, but we want more of you. God, I pray today for some folks who came in carrying a lot of weight. I pray that they'd lay some stuff down. I pray that we would uh, trade what's weighing us down for your glory and goodness and grace. Um, we, we need that today. God, I pray that you would give us eyes to see what you want us to see this morning and ears to hear what you want to hear. God, I pray for your anointing. If uh, your spirit isn't upon me this morning, if you don't take control of my mouth, nothing I, I will say will matter. And I'm fully aware of that because I'm a broken person. Uh, but I know that your spirit can use me because I've seen it happen before. And so I'm praying that you do that now. Um, speak through, through me. Say to your folks, to your bride, what you want to say. I pray all these things in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. So a couple of weeks ago, I watched uh, Christopher Nolan's latest movie, Tenet. Has anybody seen the movie Tenet? Um, yeah, I didn't understand it at all, Okay. Like, if you ask me to try to give uh, a summary, like a plot summary of this movie, there's no chance. Um, but I do think there was a very, it, it opened with a, a very interesting scene. So uh, the movie opens, and the main character is in this concert hall, and an orchestra is playing. And bombs have been placed all throughout this theater. And what we see happen is, the, he's called the protagonist, he runs throughout the theater and he's trying to find these uh, bombs and he's removing them and he's trying to relocate them to save uh, a bunch of people's lives. And he does it. I mean, in the scene, he is very heroic. And then as soon as it's done, he, uh, he wakes up and it at least seems like the whole thing was a simulation put on by some government agency to see how he would respond under pressure, to see how he would respond under fire. They wanted to know in a situation like this, would he remain composed? Would he remain compassionate? Would he still respond selflessly? I mean, would you? The, uh, the person who was administering the test, he even said, you know, after it was over, he said, we have no idea how people are going to respond in situations like this until we test them. But he said, uh, the test always reveals the truth. He's like, once we do it, we, we know because we see it in real time. Church smack dab in the middle of the Bible, we read the story of a man named Job who was put to the ultimate test by Satan. The book opens by telling us that Job was a blameless and upright man who feared the Lord and who turned away from evil. He was from the land of Uz. He was very wealthy. He had a large family, big farm, a lot of, uh, of livestock. He had an elaborate estate. All that to say, our friend Job was doing pretty good. 
I mean, for a long time, he was doing pretty well for himself. Now, what Job didn't realize is that he got caught up in the crosshairs of a theological debate between God and the devil. The characters in the story in Hebrew are referred to as Yahweh and Hasatan. Apparently, Satan came to God and he tells God that the only reason humans love God is because he blesses them. He said, ultimately, if you remove your, the bless, you take the blessings away, people aren't going to love you anymore. And so God points out Job as an example to Satan that this isn't so. He allowed Satan to destroy everything that Job owned. Y'all know the story. Uh, the only thing that uh, Satan wasn't allowed to do, at least initially, was he couldn't affect, he couldn't do anything to Job's physical body. But uh, in a matter of uh, probably less than a day, Job had 10 kids, a natural disaster came, killed them all. He had a, a, a ton of livestock. In a matter of moments, all of his livestock either gets stolen or slaughtered. In just a few hours, this man lost, other than his wife, everything on this earth he held dear. All of his material possessions, gone. And yet even so, in Job chapter 1, verse 21, listen to what Job says. Listen to this declaration of faith. He says, naked I came from the womb, and naked shall I depart. The Lord gives, and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So Satan went back to God, and he says to God, skin for skin. He says, the only reason that Job stayed true to you is because you didn't let me touch his body. He's like, if you give me control over his physical health, I guarantee you he will turn his back on you. And so God grants Satan permission. He says, okay, this time you can, you can take over his physical health. And the Bible tells us that Satan then uh, puts all of these sores all over Job's body. Like from head to toe, it's just one sore after the other. And the scriptures tell us that Job was in such bad shape that he took a broken piece of pottery and he used that pottery just to scrape himself. Just there writhing in pain, moaning, sitting in the midst of his own scabs and ashes. It got so bad that his wife says to him, Job, why don't you just curse God and die? Listen to how Job responded to his wife. This is what he said, Job chapter 2, verse 10. He says, you speak as a foolish woman. Shall we receive blessings from God and not also receive trouble? In all these things, the scriptures say, Job did not sin with his mouth. He passed the test. He loved God for more than just material possessions. He loved God for more than just his physical health. He loved God for God. And in the scriptures we see it, the test revealed the truth. Now, this is not the main thing that I want to talk about today, but I do feel like if I didn't mention it, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention it, okay? Church, Job's suffering mattered. His pain was not meaningless. None of it was wasted. Job didn't know why the things that were happening to him were happening to him. He didn't know why God was allowing him to lose everything. And yet, the author of the book of Job allows us to peek behind the curtain to see into the heavenly realms. And what we see is that Job's every faithful act resounded in heaven. 
Job's, faithful, Job's faithfulness proved God to be trustworthy and proved Satan to be a liar. The point is, there are going to be times in all of your lives when tragedy is going to strike. And you are not going to know the reason behind it. You aren't going to be able to discern the why, but a lack of earthly answers doesn't mean a lack of heavenly significance. A lack of earthly understanding doesn't mean a lack of heavenly significance. Maybe you just haven't been able to see behind the curtain yet. Maybe you just don't, hadn't had the opportunity to see what's taking place in the heavenly realms on your behalf. Your suffering matters. It is never meaningless. God wastes nothing. Now, the main thing I want to talk to you about today is Job chapter 3 through Job chapter 41. Now, this may come as a surprise to a lot of you, but there are uh, 42 chapters in the book of Job. Like, it's a really large book, and the way that the book breaks down is that the first couple of chapters are considered the prologue, and the last chapter is considered the epilogue, and all the other chapters are poetry. For me, a really helpful way to break the book down is to think about it almost like a, a, a stage play. And because the first two chapters are narrative and the last chapter is in narrative form, it's almost like a narrator. The story was built for a narrator to come out and to tell the first couple of parts to give us a little background on who Job is, and then the entire play takes place, and then the narrator pops back out to tie up any loose ends at the end. But here's the thing, church. Most preachers never preach Job chapter 3 through 41. Like, I honestly don't know that I've ever heard a sermon on the middle part of Job. People, people give you the stuff at the beginning, and they give you the stuff at the end, but they never stay in the center. And, and the reason for that is because the middle chapters in this book get pretty dark. I mean, the reality is uh, Job was a man enduring immense pain and suffering, and a large portion of the book is just him pouring out his pain and his hurt before the Lord. I want to give you a few examples of some of the texts from these middle chapters. I think you're going to like these. In Job chapter 3, he curses the day he was born. In Job chapter 7, he declares that he's lost all hope. Job chapter 9, he demands an audience with God. Job chapter 10, he asks God why he's being punished for sins he didn't commit. Job chapter 17, he says that his spirit, the spirit inside of him, is completely broken. In Job chapter 23, he simply asks God where he is and why he seems so distant. Job chapter 27, he says that the Lord has made his very soul bitter. Job chapter 29, he says that he longs for the days of old when God used to be his friend. Church, can you understand now why preachers avoid these chapters of Scripture, right? I mean, it's the middle part of Job, not very seeker-sensitive, if you know what I'm saying, you know, not, not appealing to the, uh, the once-a-month crowd. But I believe that this, uh, this story is intentional. I believe that it is a timeless story, and I believe that the truths, even of the middle part of the text, are absolutely necessary right now, because what Job teaches us is that it's okay for us to lay our every hurt and every fear, and every concern 
before the Lord. If the book of Job teaches us anything, it is that God can handle our whole selves. He can handle all of you. He can handle all of our questions, all of our doubts, all of our brokenness, all of our pain. You don't have to hide anything from him. Actually, you can't hide anything from him. Do you understand what I'm saying? Job teaches us how to lament. He teaches us the art of mourning. Mark already mentioned it this morning, but when I look out at the state of the world today and all of the chaos, what I see is uh, a lot of people who are hurting and they don't know what to do with their pain. There are a lot of people who are hurting and they don't know who to turn to and they don't know who to blame. And when pain isn't shared with God, when our pain isn't given a proper resting place, when it isn't giving, given a proper outlet, it gets weaponized. I mean, y'all know this to be true. The sad reality is oftentimes hurt people hurt people. I think one of the great tragedies of our age is that people have stopped sharing their hearts with God and they've started sharing them on the internet. A lot of people are more vulnerable online than they are in their prayer time. A lot of people have traded the abundant life for an abundance of likes. And this is detrimental to our souls. Y'all know what I'm saying is true. Because have you ever had that experience where you were in prayer before God and you just laid yourself bare? Like you said to him, everything that was on your mind, all the hurts, everything that you normally keep inside, you just laid it out there. Have you ever done that before? Because once you do that, there's such freedom that comes upon you. Such relief. Just, just the voicing of it. You feel like you lay so much down and yet you say the same stuff online. You tweet it out. You put it on Facebook and it's emptiness. Why? Because... Your friend from fifth grade that you haven't seen in person in 25 years was never meant to help you carry that pain. But your God was and is, and I'm here to tell you, church, he will handle it with care. And some of you, as soon as I stop talking today and Mark and the band come uh, up here, some of, you need to, some of you need to come to the altar and you need to mourn. You, you need to lament. You need to pray. I mean, a lot of the stuff that you've been keeping inside for too long and it's been eating you up for too long, you just need to come up and declare it. And if you're not here, hit your knees wherever you are. And I don't care where you're watching. Bow down before and have an encounter with the king and lay it all on the line. Lay it all out there. Church, he can take it. Job's trying to tell us he's ready for it. He's the safest place for us to say these things. We need to have a moment where we go, God, look, I, I don't know why you're doing what you're doing. Like, I don't, I, I'm looking around and I just, I don't see your plan in all this. I don't know why COVID-19, the coronavirus, I don't know why so many people are losing their jobs. I don't know why so many people are losing their lives. I don't know what's going on in the world today. Everything seems like a mess. Everybody seems so broken. Some days I wake up and I don't even want to get out of bed. Some days I, I, I look to heaven and I wonder if God is even there. Some days I feel like Job and I go, my soul aches within me. 
Church, prayer is meant to be both praise and perseverance. Our prayers are meant to be this, this mixture of praise and perseverance. And what I mean by that is sometimes we are in an emotional position to declare with a shout, God, you are holy. And sometimes the best we can do is whisper, God, we press on. We press on. But this is what it is like to have an intimate relationship with God. Our prayers are intertwined, praise and Perseverance. Job teaches us that it's okay for us to lay our every hurt, our every fear, our every concern before the Lord. My friends, I ask you, watching at home, in the room, when's the last time you prayed like that? Like, when's the last time that you prayed like that? I honestly believe that when we go to God in prayer in such a way, and we have such an intimate moment with Him, and we really lay all of our hurts and, and pains before him. I believe that it's like a dam within us breaks. And it's like the river of his peace comes roaring through. At the feet of God, that's the place where anxiety subsides. That's the place where anger dissolves. That's the place where hope is restored. Listen to me. God can handle your pain. He can handle your fear. He can handle your questions. Turn them over to him. Lay it down. Lay down your pain. Pick up his power. And then put something on social media. And then be vulnerable with your friends. And then become a social justice advocate. But this broken and chaotic world needs a whole you. Like, it, we need you to be who God wants you to be, and the only way to do that is to share your pain before him, to trade your pain for his power, and you can do it, church. I promise you, you can. Years ago, uh, when we were still living in Wilmington, we had good friends, uh, Ronnie and Rhonda Brinkley, and they uh, lost their house in a fire, lost everything. And some of y'all have heard me talk about this story before because we were actually there. Uh, it was a Christmas party. And I was leading the youth group at the time, and I had like 25 students at their house, and their parents were there, and we had went on a hayride, and apparently a cat knocked over a candle in their house, and it was a beautiful log cabin, and the whole thing just immediately engulfed in flames. I mean, I got this whole group, and we're surrounded. I'm trying, you know, running, trying to help Ronnie save what he can, but the whole thing goes down. About six or nine months later, Ronnie's a great builder, and so he starts back the process of trying to rebuild a new home. So what they do is he just moves a little camper in right there, and his family stays in the camper, and every day you get home from work and you work on his house. And so me and uh, the University of North Carolina chief, uh, uh, Wilmington chief of police named David Donaldson, and me and David would go over and help him sometime uh, in the rebuild. And I was over at his uh, house one day, and what he wanted to do was he was trying to hang an exterior door on the second story of the home. And what that was eventually was going to be was it was going to be, uh, he was going to build a balcony off of it or a deck off of it so they could exit their bedroom and just have a, little, ha have a space there. And so he wanted to hang this door up. And uh, the plan was, and looking back, it was a pretty terrible plan. Uh, Ronnie's son, Ryan, was 16 years old. And Ryan was going to use a forklift, and there was a pallet on the, on the forklift, and the door was uh, going to be on the forklift, and me and David were going to ride up 
uh, on the pallet, and we were going to hold the door in place so that Ronnie could run around and he could attach it in a couple of places. That way he could level it all out and work on it once we were gone. Now, what you need to know about me and David is, is this, okay? Both of us, when we were like young men, uh, little kids, I imagine, and our uh, moms were shopping for clothes for us at Kmart, uh, my guess is they had to shop in, in the husky section at, at the store, okay? Um, all that to say, uh, David and I, both a little bit overweight, carrying, carrying a few extra pounds. And so uh, we get on this pallet because Ronnie thinks it's a great idea. And, and Ryan starts, you know, he's 16, just turns the thing on. And here we go, like lifting up. And we got the door in our uh, hands. And we get right there. We're at the second story. The, the gap there for the door is there. And David picks up one side, and I pick up one side of the door. And as soon as we step forward to put it in place, the pallet shatters, and um, both of us fall to the ground. And not only do we, we fall, but they're below us because like, they're building a house, and he's not building a log house. Now he's building a brick house. And so there are these bricks on the ground below us. Should have looked at that, Kobe, before we went up, right? And so... I land, and uh, uh, my feet hit some of these bricks, and I immediately fall back, and David falls back next to me, and we look up, and now here comes the door that we were holding, and it's about to fall on top of us both. And so I lift both of my feet up, and he lifts both of his feet up, and the door hits him, and we're able to keep the door from falling on us. But as soon as the door hits my right foot, I feel this pain immediately go all the way up my right. I mean, it's like I, it starts my foot, but I feel it going up my whole body. And so uh, after I s stopped screaming, uh, I, I get up and I'm like, I don't think I'm going to work anymore. <laughs> I think the day's done. I'm, I'm clocking out. And so uh, I drive home and, and my foot's hurting so bad that I had to drive with just my left foot. And so I'm, I'm like pressing the gas. It's automatic, but I'm pressing the gas and brake with my, with my left foot. And so uh, I get home and I'm sitting in the recliner about an hour after it happens. And I'm just sitting there and I feel a tear run down my cheek. And uh, Bethany sees me, and she's like, dude, this isn't normal. Like, you need to go to the doctor, right? And so uh, I leave and go to the emergency room. Turns out I had broken my foot in uh, three places. And the doctors held me. I end up getting a boot. It ends up, it ends up healing uh, okay, and now I'm, you know, a physical specimen, right? I mean, everything's, everything's fully restored if you are concerned. Now, what I want you to, to see uh, from that story is that... Um, when my foot was hurting, I didn't go and post about it on MySpace, okay? I did, because that was what was around back then, all right? I didn't text like one of my childhood friends, like somebody I went to third grade with. I didn't text them and be like, hey, buddy, just thought you might want to know uh, my foot hurts right now. No, I went to the doctor. Why? Because the doctor was the only one who could help me with my pain. Church, I'm begging you. Stop taking your pain to the wrong places. Take it to the great physician. He is the only one who is equipped to both hear and heal you. Unlike this world, he will handle your pain with care, with tenderness, with grace. It's what all those middle chapters of the book of Job shows. He's just laying his heart out there. Job's trying to teach his church how to mourn how to lament, how to pray. Now, the whole time Job was hurting, he had uh, three so-called friends. Their names were Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. 
And um, these three friends came, and it sounds like it in, in the text that they're coming to help Job. And for a while, they do pretty good. Like for the first seven days, they get to Job, and they just remain silent. And they're just trying to check on him to see if he's okay, and they kind of witness the pain that he's in. They see the sores. They see him scraping his body. They know that he's hurting. And after the seven days are up, though, they become pretty judgy, okay? Each one of these guys, and I'd recommend you read through that whole middle section because each one of these guys kind of takes a turnabout with Job, and each one of like, Job is scraping sores, and his friends are sitting next to him, and they're talking about, look, the reason that you're going through this, there has to be some secret sin in your life. Like you're hiding something. They go, if you would just, if you would just confess and repent of the secret sin, we know that God would take care of your pain. And the whole time, Job's going, man, there's no sin. He's like, I've, I've confessed everything. I've repented everything. I've apologized for things I didn't even, I don't know that I've done or did. And he's like, and, and the whole time, they just keep, the friends just keep piling on, piling on. They won't let it go. Now, one thing I've noticed about people is that oftentimes when tragedies happen, when tragedies happen to other folks, it's sin. When it happens to us, it's Satan. When tragedies happen to other people, it's sin. When it happens to us, it's Satan. Let me explain to you what I mean. In 2010, when uh, the earthquake hit Haiti, some of you will remember on the 700 Club, Pat Robertson came on there and he said that he believed that the earthquake uh, in Haiti was God's judgment on Haitians, that God grew tired of uh, their sin, their shame, the darkness, the voodoo, and so God sent that earthquake as judgment on their sin. Y'all remember he said this on the 700, it was big news. But in 2018, when Pat Robertson himself had a stroke, he believed that this was Satan trying to get in the way of the good work that God had called him to do. Do you see the hypocrisy in that? Do you see how self-righteous that is? Man, it happens to them, it's sin. Happens to me, it's Satan. We need to be very careful in how we judge other people when they walk through their stuff. We need to be very careful when we take certain perspectives on what's happened in other people's lives when we see tragedy strike them. I think it's really important that we note here that at the end of this story, God doesn't judge Job for questioning him, but he does judge Job's friends for questioning Job. Do you know what I'm saying? I'm going to show it to you in, in a minute, but at the end of the story, God is all that stuff that we read, all those verses just bam, where Job's just pouring his heart out before God, saying all these things that to us and our ears seem kind of harmful. At the end of the story, God doesn't judge Job for saying what he said. He judge, judges Job's friends for doing what they did. Turn with me in the Bible to Job 42, 7 through 9. We're almost done. I want to show you a couple more things. Listen to this. This is Job chapter 42, verses 7 through 9, and it says, After the Lord had spoken these words to Job, the Lord said to Eliphaz the Temanite, My anger burns against you and against your two friends, for you have not spoken to me what is right, as my servant Job has. Now therefore, take seven bulls and seven rams and go to my servant Job and offer up a burnt offering for yourselves. 
And my servant Job shall pray for you, for I will accept his prayer not to deal with you according to your folly. For you've not spoken to me what is right, as my servant Job has. So Eliphaz the Temanite, and Bildad the Shuite, and Zophar the Namathite went and did what the Lord had told them, and the Lord accepted Job's prayer. Now, I want you to see clearly what is happening here. The Lord goes to Eliphaz and tells him, this is what I want you to do. I want you to take a peace offering to Job, and I want you to apologize for the way that you treated him. Because when he was hurting him, and, and when he was hurting, instead of, uh, instead of helping him, y'all just piled on to his pain. You made his pain worse. I want you to go, take him a peace offering. I want you to apologize. And then this is what he says, and if Job is willing to pray for you, then I will forgive what you've done. God, not mad at Job, mad at Job's judgy friends. Now, the other thing that I want you to notice here in closing is this. The book of Job is the story of uh, a blameless man who suffered for sins that he did not commit. And even after his suffering, he was asked to intercede for the very people who had hurt him. And if he would intercede on their behalf, God would lift his judgment off of them. Does that story sound familiar to anybody else? Anybody but me? A man who suffered for sins he didn't commit, who then gets asked to intercede for the very people who hurt him? And if he will intercede for us, then the wrath of God will be removed from over us. Church, this is the gospel. All of these Old Testament, we've been talking about it for years, these Old Testament stories whisper Jesus' name. The story of Job is a precursor to the story of Jesus. Book of Job teaches us that our suffering is never meaningless because God weighs nothing. It teaches us that God can handle all of us. We can lay our whole hearts out before him. He is prepared and ready, and he will handle our emotions and our hearts with care. And lastly, it teaches us that we need to be really careful in how we judge other people's pain. Pray with me if you would. Father, I come to you now in the name of Jesus. I pray that you would move in our midst. God, I'm confident that there are people in this room today who it's been a long time since they've got on their knees before you and they've shared their whole heart with you. And I'm praying it would happen right now. I'm praying that your spirit would speak directly to somebody's heart and say, hey, it's time for me and you to talk. It's time for an encounter. And I pray that it would happen. God, show us. Let us learn from Job the art of lamenting, the art of mourning, the art of praying. And may our church and this city and the world around us be better because we put our pain in the proper place. We've laid down our pain and we've picked up your power. Pray all these things in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen.